I love going on vacation. Uh, one of the reasons why I love vacation is because, um, a couple of reasons. One is because um, I'm not at home, which means I don't have to do anything around the house. Um, I like it because I can take long, hot showers. Um, I have, usually, Dory and I, we get separate, you know, like the kids are on one side, and then there's like a kitchenette, a highly recommended for married couples. Um, and then they have a kitchenette in the middle and like a little living room, and then you have your own private bedroom and you have your own bathroom. This is the latest thing that I fall in love with. I don't, won't do it any other way. So uh, we, that's what we do. And I also like that I don't have to worry about the septic tank backing up with the long shower. So, you know, because you're standing in the shower and obviously you hear this beep, it means there's something going on in the basement. So anyway, but I love vacations. Dory and I were on vacation in Lake George and uh, we've been there a few times since then. And we've stayed at this place called the Antigua Resort which um, I normally wouldn't spend that kind of money, but it was like our first time up there, and you know, somebody, I think there was some deal worked out with it. Um, but I really enjoyed it. Uh, they had a swimming area and a dock. So, and the swimming area is more like a sand trap um, based on water by the lake. It's not like a beach like we would have here. It wasn't like that. It's just sand and water. And so we go down there and figured, let's do a freebie day. We'll take the kids down, we'll let them play in the water, exhaust them a little bit, and then they'll nap or whatever. And so we're figuring that's what we're going to do. Well, we go down there, and, and they have this, this cornered-off area, and they have a swimming area, and out about 30 feet, there's a dock. So when the kids are playing, and we're all having a good old time. You know, we're watching the kids play. And Rachel, Rachel says to me, Dad, can I swim out to the dock with the other kids? Now, I'm Ranger Dom. I'm always nervous about stuff. And so I said, reluctantly, I mean, she had her platypus badge, which in... Um, what do they call it, safety swim speak, means she probably swims better than I do. So I said, okay, you know, a little reluctant. I said, okay, you know, got to let her go sooner or later, right? Now she's driving and going to college. So anyway, she goes swimming out there, and, um, and I watched it the whole way. And so she's out there jumping in around with them and stuff like that. And so I'm watching Nick, and I'm hanging out with Dory. And then she kind of yells, Dad, I want to come back. Okay, all right, fine. So I'm watching her come back, and she gets about halfway across that 30-foot span, and she hits those buoys, you know, that go around that mock off the overhead area, and she gets tied up in the rope. So now I'm standing there and I'm panicking. I don't know if you know this or not, but I do a really good doggy paddle, but that's about it. I can't swim to save my own life, let alone somebody else's. And there's no lifeguard. I should have checked that at the door, right? But so she's flailing and screaming, and I'm like, it's just me and Dory. There's nobody else. So I jump in the water, I do my fastest doggy paddle to get out there, figuring just because it's over her head, it might not be over mine, because she's considerably smaller at this point. So I figure if I can just get her out of the ropes. So I, somehow I managed that and tied her and got her all, and we swam back to the beach, and there I was laying on the beach like a beached whale, you know, huffing and puffing, because <sighs> I'm, I'm not only in my bad swim, I'm highly inefficient at it, obviously, and I'm probably worse now. But so here I was just uh, laying on the beach, but I said, I remembered, it was ingrained in my head, that panic and that sense of helplessness that I couldn't really do anything to save my daughter, okay? And then a couple of years after that, you know, a couple of years after that, you know, I was made a pastor here, and I, I was trying to do the things that I'm supposed to do. And a friend of mine, he called me up, and he said, hey, Dom, I really need your help. You know, I'm stuck in a bad spot. I don't know what to do. And, um, you know, I, I know you very well, and I, I, I wanted to reach out to you and ask you for help. And so I said to myself, again, I felt that sense of panic, 
that his, his problems were so big that I wouldn't know how to help him. I don't know how to help him. I don't know what to do. And then you think you don't learn anything in college, but you do, sort of. I, I remember we took this course in Bible college, and it was called Counseling in the Finished Work of Christ. And I said, wait a minute. That had a whole section on this kind of thing. Maybe I should reread my notes. So I, it's a good thing I saved all this on my computer. I went back and I reread my notes. And I said, wow, this is really good. This will really help. Okay, so what I did was I came up with this uh, acronym for the word help. Okay, I'd like to share it with you today. Because I think we all should be able to help. We all should be able to engage. Okay, but what does help stand for? The word help. Is up there? Okay, I'm going to get the word help there. Okay, good. Help, um, which stands for hope, encouragement, love, and prayer. Okay, these are the four things you need to help in order to help other people. Okay, so let's start with hope. Uh, let's turn to Mark 5, 21 through 29. Okay. Now, when Jesus, when Jesus had again crossed the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, him beside the sea. Okay, and a synagogue leader named Jairus arrived, and seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded with him urgently, my little daughter is near death. Please come and place your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. Okay, so he's asking Jesus to come and help him, right? And I instantly thought about, wait a minute, Jesus doesn't have to go to help him, right? With the centurion, what did he do, right? The centurion, he just told, he just said, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed, right? So Jesus didn't have to go lay hands on him to make it work, right? But in this case, he went. He went with the guy, okay? So he went with him. And so just think about this also, okay? That Jesus, this guy Jairus was so desperate for him to seek out Jesus's help, right? Remember, at the time, Jesus was just an itinerant renegade preacher. He wasn't accepted by the leaders. He wasn't accepted by the synagogue. They didn't give him any credence at all, not even remotely accepted, and so this guy must have been in a really, really dark place to seek Jesus' help out. He must have been desperate. So Jesus went with him, okay, instead of doing it the way he did it with the centurion. And a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had suffered from bleeding for 12 years. She had borne much, she had borne much agony under the care of many physicians and had spent all she had but to no avail. Instead, her condition had only gotten worse. Okay, so she goes, 12 years she suffered. She went to all the doctors, did all the treatments, you know, drank all the potions, did all the treatments, rub on, whatever, and only got worse. It was out of desperation that she took this step of faith. And after all, it was her faith in Christ that healed her, right? It was her faith in Christ that healed her. Now, desperation is in effect hopelessness. Desperation is effect hopelessness in action. So when you're desperate, you're hopeless. It's, they usually follow each other. When you're hopeless, you become more and more desperate, more and more desperate. That's what brings about deathbed salvation, okay? The fear of dying brings a person to a level of desperation that the offer of forgiveness is almost irresistible. If someone is drowning and you toss them a life ring, they'll grab it, right? If I throw somebody a life ring and they're drowning, they're not going to say, oh, I want a blue life ring or I want a red life ring. No, they're just going to grab it because it's offered to them. And I experienced this once in my life, a couple of times, but this one in particular, um, Dory's uncle, uh, Bert Silverman, he, um, 
let me just open up a can and say that he did not like me. He did not like my God. Uh, he wanted nothing to do with either of them. And so there was this hostility every time I saw him. And so now he has his second round of cancer, and this time it's going to kill him. He, he got a respite, and then he got, um, you know, he got better, and then he got worse again. And so I was asked, because I was working in the city, um, Dory's parents asked me, could you buy this razor, right, electric razor, and go there and just give it to the staff so that they could shave him? Because the last time they saw him, he was all fuzzed over, and, you know, they just wanted him to be clean. So I said, okay. So I drive into the city. Well, I was going to work in the city anyway. I stopped along the expressway. The hospital's right there. And I go into the nurse's station, and I go to the nurse. I put it down. I said, this is for Bert Silverman. Could you see to it that he gets it? And she says, no, if you leave it here, it'll disappear. Talk about security, right? Okay. So, okay. So she says, go put it in his night table drawer by his bed. So I say, okay. I pick it up. I go walking in. And as I'm entering the room, okay, as I'm entering the room, I see the nurse struggling with him because he's trying to pull the hose out of his nose and the thing out of his arms, and she's fighting him. And he's putting up a pretty good fight for someone who's only hours away from death. He's putting up a pretty good fight. And so I'm like chicken out. I'm going right back to the nurse. So I go back to the nurse station. I said, something's going on there. I don't think it's an appropriate time for me to be in there. And she looks at me with the, like, give me that mother tone. Just do what I told you. Okay. So now I'm a chicken. I'm a chicken. I'll, I'll tell you, this was many years ago. I'd be more bold now, I'd like to think. But man, I was a chicken. So I go walking in there, and she's coming out. So uh, the battle's over, right? So I'm walking out. I'm like, okay. So I walk around the bed, and I don't make eye contact. Don't look at the guy. I go to his night table. I open the drawer. I put it in. I close the drawer. And then I look at him. And when I looked at him, I saw fear. I saw fear. I can even feel that emotion coming over me now, and that was many years ago. I saw a fear like I've never seen in anybody. Now, mind you, this guy was a New York City police in a, a 24-foot boat out in high seas. None of that scared him, but he was scared. He was afraid. And so I, I, this wasn't me, by the way. I'm not bragging about me. This is definitely the Holy Spirit just boom. Gave me what I needed, like it says, like, you know, when you need it, God's going to give it to you. I sat down on his bed, and I said, Bert, I'm going to pray for you. Because he couldn't talk by now, because his mouth was full of blisters, he couldn't talk. He was in so much pain. And, and I took his hands, and I said, Bert, I'm going to pray for you. Now, I know you can't speak. I said, but I'm going to pray for you. And you know what? Jesus offers you forgiveness for everything you're afraid right now. You don't have to be afraid. You can actually have the forgiveness of God right now at this moment. I'm here to offer that to you. One last try. Well, I didn't say one last try because that would be kind of bad salesmanship. But I just said one last try. Let me just give you this. And I took his hands and I prayed. I prayed the sinner's prayer. And I said, if you accept what, I, what I'm offering don't let go of my hands. And he didn't. Now think about this. Now you might say, well, he was so desperate, but think about it. He had the strength to resist that nurse. He could have very easily have resisted me, but he did not because he wanted what I was offering him. And I think today, I mean, I, I, can't, I don't know the man's heart, but I think today if I were to pass, I would see him at the gate because I believe he's there today. And that's what desperation does. 
Desperation puts you in a spot where anybody offers you a helping hand or offers you forgiveness, you're going to take it, okay? And so, so now, back to the story. When the woman heard about Jesus, she came up through the crowd and touched his cloak. I always wondered about that. Why did she do, I mean, she could have asked for him to lay hands on her. No. See, in that tradition, if a woman was in that state where she was bleeding, she couldn't go into the temple. She couldn't be touched. She, couldn't, she was like a lepra. She'd have to actually warn people not to touch her because of her. So she figured, I don't want to violate Jesus. I don't want to violate the rabbi. I just want just a touch, just a little bit. And that would be like you coming up and touching my, my shoe and thinking you'd get healed. But that's what she did, okay, in this crowd. For she kept saying, she, this is what she kept saying, if only I touch his garments... I will be healed. She believed it. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. If only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. How ridiculous is this? She sees the best doctors in town. She spends all her money only to get worse. She's so desperate, she's reduced to the idea she concocted it up in her head of just touching his garment would do what all the doctor's medicines did not accomplish. Such is the walk of faith. You know what we need to do with people? We need to get them to Jesus. Not to a pastor, not to a church, not to a preacher, but to Jesus. Get them to Jesus because he's the only one. He is the only one that offers us real hope. The hope of the cross, the hope of eternity. That's all. He's, he's got it. We don't. We need to give it to them and bring them to them. Okay, my next word is encouragement. Now this dined our find our hope. Where do we find our hope? Where do we find our encouragement? We find it in the Word of God. We find our hope and our encouragement in the Word of God. Now I love the Word of God because it doesn't change. It doesn't need any additions. It doesn't need any updating, like Pastor Tony taught a couple weeks ago. Okay, and so we know that God's Word is solid and it's not going anywhere. It's so I like to watch Judge Judy. She always says, don't send me letters. But I like to watch it because I, I, for something about, I love justice. I guess that's because of, as a Christian, I think I don't deserve justice. I deserve mercy, but I like justice. So anyway, so I like what she says. She says, this is a contract, okay? And when people say, oh, we had a verbal agreement. We had a verbal agreement. Yeah, what does that mean? That means she said, she said, and there's no verification to that. So what, what they do is, what she says is, this is the written contract. The four walls of this document are the contract. This is all that has to happen, all that's going to go on here. And it can only be amended by both parties signing the amendment together, writing and signing. It has to be amended in writing, and both parties have to sign. Now, I like to think of the Word of God as a contract, a contract between me and God. I do what He says, and He will do what He promises, right? So anytime I start to doubt that, that's when I get into trouble. So I love that she says that, and I see it as a contract. So let's look at a couple of promises in the Bible that are in relation to encouragement, okay? Um, let's go with James, 12, uh, James 1.12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because in having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, the power word there is perseveres perseveres. What does that mean? It means I'm going to follow through. I'm going to go the distance, okay? So let's say the blessing is right there, okay? And I get this far, and I give up. Well, I'm not going to get the blessing because I need to, I need to persevere. I need to step over. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. John 16, 33. 
I have told you these things that in me you may have peace in this world. You will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He's overcome the world, so it's not us. It's not us that has to deal with it. You know, anytime I find myself in a place where I, I'm, I'm starting to lose it, I start thinking, you know what? He told me this was going to happen, that there would be trouble, okay? That, you remember back in the day in the 70s when I got saved, they, they had these plastic, it looked like a plastic bread, and it had promises in it, you know, cards with promises in it. And, and it wasn't like a, uh, you know, it wasn't like a fortune cookie. They were always good stuff. You know, you'd pull it out and I'd be like, you know, I, I used to love to do that. I should get one of those anyway. But it, it was, a lot of these promises would be in there. Um, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 4. Okay. By the way, I didn't know this was a song until like years later after I got saved. I said, wow, this is a song. I've heard this before. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die. A time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. That covers just about everything in the experience of human nature. That covers from cradle to grave. All that's going to happen sooner or later. All that happens, okay? And God promises those things will happen. So when you're in that dark spot where it's, you know, there's death, there's also life. There's, there's darkness and there's light. There's always those, those. That's the world we live in. That's the fallen economy of God that we live in. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap the harvest. If we do not give up. Anytime I see an if, I see an option, okay? If we do not give up. At the proper time. Again, not your time. Not your time. <laughs> God's time. That's the time that matters. Not my time, because sometimes I want it now. And he's like, no, not now. It's like my kids when they were little. I want it now. You can't have it now. You can have it later. Not now. Okay? So God sometimes withdraws stuff, holds stuff for a given time. Philippians 1.6. Being confident, confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, I remember this was a song, and my wife is very musical, so a lot of the scriptures that I've heard over the years were sung scriptures, you know, and some of them I still know because they're songs, okay? And this one, I remember this one. Um, I used to sing it with the kids. He who began a good work in you, don't leave me hanging if you know what, sing it. Um, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He will be faithful to complete it. He who started the work will be faithful to complete it in you. I can't tell you how many times I've sang that song to myself, you know, and thinking the dreams I had that God gave me, would I ever, would they ever transpire, would they ever happen? You know, and I would sing that song to myself. And, and it's not only helpful to me, but it's helpful to other people, okay? All of these verses, all those verses and many, many more, should be in your encouragement first aid kit. I call it the encouragement first aid kit. You should have that. At a moment's notice to dispense not only to yourself, because you're going to need it, right, but to others around you. We are told to hide the word of God in our hearts. Why? Why are we told to do that? Well, one, so that the enemy can't steal it, so he won't steal it from you and then take it from you, and that you have it ready to encourage other people with. Remember before, um, before COVID really hit, like maybe a, maybe a month before COVID hit, Pastor Tony had a Bible study uh, at night, 
And what he did was he taught us how to take apart this piece of scripture and feed ourselves. Do you remember that? And the reason for that was we didn't know. We didn't know what was going to happen with all this. We didn't know if they were going to shut us down. People needed to be able to fend for themselves on the word of God. They needed to be able to go to the Bible and find their own feed to feed themselves and feed their spirit and encourage themselves. And so that's the other reason why we hide the word of God in our hearts because we know that someday we're going to need it, not only for us, but for other people. Now the next word is love. The next word is love. Now I had a hard time with love growing up. I had a really tough time with that. My first family um, that I was born into, um, I didn't feel love. I felt like I was more of a burden and a bother to them than anything else. And so when I got my new family, when I went to my new family, they were much better at it. They were much better at showing it. But I had a disconnected sense of it. It wasn't real. It really wasn't. It didn't, I didn't feel that warm, fuzzy stuff. You know, it wasn't there. And I didn't really feel that until I met Dory. Now, when I met Dory, for the first time in my life, I felt love. From like three weeks in, I felt love for her. And I just knew. I mean, we broke up a couple of times. That's a whole story. If you come over my house, you'll hear it. <laughs> you will hear it. And so we eventually got married, obviously, because we're here today. But it was like, I felt love for someone that I would literally run through fire for, that I would literally die for. And I never had that before. And I remember the times we broke up, I was so, dis, dis, you know, I mean, it was my fault some of the times. Yeah, you'll, you, she'll hear, you'll hear her say a different story. But it's like, I felt love for the first time, somebody I would actually die for. I remember driving away from her house and thinking, I don't want to leave her there. I want her with me. I want to keep her with me all the time. You know, and that's when I knew I was, I was feeling things I never felt before. And then, then when I had children, when I had Rachel and Nicholas, God expanded my love base. He made it wider. And so now I, I love these children. If my house was on fire and they were upstairs, I would go up and save them. I wouldn't even think for my own life because I love them. And I never had this kind of love before. God started opening up love into my heart, opening up that base, okay? To the point now where I can love people I don't even know. I can love people. I see people on the screen in Ukraine or whatever, and they're suffering. I love these people. I hurt for them. I cry for them. I, I, and a lot of you I didn't know 10 years ago, but I love you now. Hopefully that's returned reciprocated. You love me too. Um, so, but God's love is not like that. Okay, God's love's not like that where it's tenuous and it's like you don't feel it. First, uh, First John 3 says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Now that word lavished is not just a casual love. It's not like, oh, I love you. Like we say, we throw love around way too much. Um, it's not a casual love like that. It's extravagant. It's over the top. Head over heels type of love. When we need help, Get this, I found this in my own life. When we need help, it often means that we have forgotten or started to think that God does not love us. When we need help, we start to think that God does not love us or have fallen out of love with us, which is even worse. But both of them are wrong. This can happen in any relationship. Think about it. If you and your wife don't communicate, if you don't talk for months, yeah, pretty soon you're gonna be scratching your head. Does she love me? You know, I notice things are going wrong here all of a sudden. Well, no, any relationship, can, this can happen to when you get distant, when you grow distant, okay? So what's the key to that? Stay close. But that's not the way it is. God lavishes love on us. First John 4, 8 tells us that God is love. God is love, okay? That's one of his attributes, by the way. I learned that in Bible school too. It's one of his attributes, okay? Which means if you, if God were an orange and you squeezed him, 
the juice that would come out would be love because that's what God is. God is love, okay? And so that's the way he is for us. Let's continue. Um, and, this, and this is what we are. This is present tense, by the way. This is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, now, right this moment, we are children of God. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation, and you're in him. We are children of God. And yet, what we will be has not yet been made known. So you mean this is just a small sample of what we're going to experience. The fact that it hasn't been made known is because we can't experience it fully on this side of eternity. But someday, we will, without the taint of sin. Think about it. If all the sin was gone, love was pure, there wouldn't be any questioning it. Like, why do you love me? Is it because, you know, I've got something you need or I've got something you want? No, you love me when love is pure. There won't be any question there about that. There won't be any doubt. When will we experience this? But we know that when Christ appears, okay, so when Christ appears, when that glorious day happens, when Christ appears, then we will experience that pure love of the Father. But until then, we have his word that says, I love you, I love you. The cross is the epitome of love. The cross is the epitome of love. That's like the ultimate sign of love, is self-sacrifice. When you love someone, you'll lay down your life for them, right? There's that word hope again, okay? On the day we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All, all who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. There's that word hope again. We need to ground ourselves in the hope of the cross, the hope that is offered to us, right? We need to lavish love upon them and remind them how much God loves them. When people need help, we need to lavish love upon them so that they feel it, so they can actually experience it. Okay, the last word in my acronym is pray. Pray. Now, one of the things I do, (laughs) you probably don't notice this, but just so you know, um, one of the things I do on Sunday morning, Dory and I, we will stand up here. We're not, we're not standing here for no purpose. We're standing up here to pray with people, okay? And so what happens is people will come up and they will say, I'm having this need or I'm having this issue or I, you know, the, the sermon might have spoken to them so we're gonna address whatever their concerns were with the sermon, things like that. So we'll pray for people up here, okay? And so... Um, People may be impacted by the servant. They come up here to pray. Oftentimes, people will tell me things, concerns, health concerns, um, financial concerns, issues with their children or whatever, and it stays within us. It stays with us. But you know what? A lot of times, God will bring that to my remembrance later on, right? It says, if anyone among you is sick, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. That's why there's an oil bottle up here. You see that little bottle of oil? That's here so that if you come up and you want prayer, and you want to be anointed with oil, the elders can do that. We can do that with you. So don't, you know, now you know that. If you feel you need this, come forward. We'll do that with you, okay? Um, A lot of times, I will continue to pray for these things well into my week as God brings them to my remembrance, right? Because I'll be praying about something else, and God will say, remember when you prayed for that lady? Remember when you prayed for that man? Pray for that again, okay? And he brings it to my remembrance. Sometimes I'll text the person and I'll ask them, how'd the surgery go? How'd the, how'd the issue go? Did the issue change? And then if they update me, they say, oh yeah, we had a discussion about it. It's getting a little better. I'll pray about that, that new information, okay? I'll just pray again. In Romans 8.26, uh, we're told, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, 
but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Now, the way this works for me, I don't really do that, but I, I, I sense God's presence, okay? Sometimes people's problems are too much and I don't know what to do or what to pray. I feel that sense of fear like I felt by the water's edge when Rachel was drowning. I feel that sense of fear and I don't know what to do, hopelessness. Especially sometimes people come up and they ask for prayer for things that I'm just like, wow. Oh my goodness, what am I gonna do, Lord? Well, how, can I, how can I pray for this? What, do I, what am I gonna say that's gonna help them? What, what am I gonna do? And I say, God, help me. And he gives me, he formulates words in my mouth. They come into my head and I just start praying. And I, as I have this lack that I don't know what to pray, he gives me what to say. And he gives me a heart for this person that I, I literally can almost feel their pain. It's, a, it's, it's kind of a weird thing. Um, one of the things that is pretty important, just so you know, um, I'm wearing a name tag. I shouldn't have it on because it looks funny in the camera. Um, but when you come up for prayer, if you have a name tag on, that would be really helpful because um, otherwise I got to pray like my, because I mean, I, there's a lot of people here and some of you I know very well and some of you are new and I don't really know you that well. So it would be helpful if you come up with a t name tag on so I could pray for you. Um, and you know what? It's funny because you'll tell me your name, but then I get so overwhelmed with praying for your needs, I, I forget your name. And so I start to have to use, I pray for my brother or I pray for my sister. So um, I don't like to do that. I like to actually have the name so that you can speak it. Um, so again, sometimes people's problems are too much for me. We all pray for them and we pray for them after and before they leave your sight. So, okay, so people will often say, I'm sure we've all done this, I've done this. Like I'll say, hey, Ken, I'm praying for you, brother, right? We all do that, right? Hey, Ken, I'm praying for you. I know Ken has an issue. He doesn't really have one, but I'm just using him. Um, uh, hey, Ken, I'm praying for you, brother. I, I know what's going on. I'm praying for you, brother, right? And you forget to pray because you get into the day, you get into stuff, and you forget to pray. So I believe that you should pray with people and for them. I, I, a lot of times if I see someone, like one time Dory and I were in a supermarket and we saw somebody from the church, I don't remember exactly who it was, but it, she was there getting stuff for her husband who was sitting out in the car who was very sick. So she told us that her husband was very sick and Dory sometimes has more courage than I do, I have to admit this. Um, she said, let's pray now. I'm like, we're in the middle of a supermarket. Let's do it. And lay hands on her, pray right there on the spot. And God started opening my prayer thing to where, I mean, we always prayed over our food, but now, I mean, I walk up, I was at a job one time, and a woman walks up and she looks like she got run over by a bus. I mean, she's completely a wreck. And I, I, I know her, I've worked with her before. And I, I say, my goodness, are you okay? And she says, she just found out she has cancer. And I'm like, Oof, I wasn't ready for that, I'm at work. I'm not wearing my pastor's hat right now. What am I gonna do? How am I gonna help? And then I remember, I said, can I pray for you right now? And she looked at me like, she doesn't, she doesn't know that I'm a Christian. She doesn't know anything about me other than I work for the company I work for. And I'm like, so I laid hands on her, I prayed for her. And she got better, she had some kind of surgery or something like that. And every time I saw her encouraged, I'm praying for her. And now we have this friendship now where when I go there, we talk spiritual stuff now. That never happened before. And if that hadn't happened, maybe this would have never happened. So a lot of times, praying for and with people really impresses them. Even if they're not Christians, people will accept prayer. They'll take it. Again, that life, that life preserver being thrown out there, they'll take it every time, okay? I sometimes, I think it's better to stop right there and pray and let them hear your words. Let them hear your words. Because they can't hear God's words. They can read them, but they can't hear God's words. But they can hear your words. They can hear your words. And so they hear that compassion, that love, that, um, that um, humanity in your voice. They can hear that. And, and sometimes that's what it helps. It really gets people over the top. 
One time a person, um, I got this new phone. Well, I shouldn't say new. I've had it for a couple of years now. And I get texts now. I never got texts before. That's why I was late for things. You know, there'd be something going on at the church and I didn't get a text and everybody else did. And I'm like, because I had a flip phone. That's how far back that goes. So anyway, I, I have this new phone now. So I get texts. People will text me. Hey, Tom, I'm in a bad spot right now. Could you pray for me? And I said, sure. I don't know why I was driving. I don't know why it came through. I guess God wanted it to. So I pulled over. And I called this person and I said, hey, brother, I'm going to pray for you right now. And he's like, I'm at work. I really can't do that right now. I said, you just listen to my words. You just listen to me pray for you. And I prayed for him. And I found out later on that that was very helpful. He sat there and listened to me pray and then he hanged up the phone, hung up the phone. And, And it was just like, that really spoke a lot to him. And so we can do that too. We pray for them and with them, not just when they're in our sight, but afterwards. Okay. So now, how do we help? How do we help? Okay, we're going to go back to our list. How do we help? How do we do this? Well, again, we offer them hope. We offer them hope. The hope found in Christ. The hope, whether they're on a deathbed, like with, you know, with, with Bert, or they're just having a daily issue. Offer them hope. Give them encouragement. A lot of times people will become discouraged, especially when they're going to a tough spot. They need encouragement. They need you to kind of be there for them, call them, text them, just encourage them. As, as was done to you, should be done to others. Lavish love upon them. Not just, you know, casual, hey, how you doing? Really enter into it with them. Love them. Love, lavish love upon them. And pray for them and with them. Pray for them and with them. Now, the reason why I'm sharing this with you today is that's, that's the job of the pastors, and, and now that I'm one of them, you know, that's my job too, is to do what the Bible tells us to do. In Ephesians 4.11, we're told, so Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers, for what reason? To equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be lifted up. To equip his people. So it's not just our job. It's not the elder's job or the pastor's job or the deacon's job to do all that. It's our job corporately. And the only way you can do that is if you know how to help, okay? So my job today was to equip you so that you can help others, okay? So that when let's so, someone is drowning in some situation, you can help. You don't have to stand there and panic and go, I don't know what to do. Well, I just, you, the word help, put it together. Hope, encouragement, love, and prayer. That's what you need to help. Do that and you will help them, okay? And it's our job to equip you to do that, okay? So when the next time somebody says, hey, I need help, you don't have to stand there and go, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help, okay? So as you've been taught, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word that uh, brings us encouragement, that brings us peace, that brings us understanding, Lord that we see your love, that we hear you say I love you through the pages of the scriptures, Father. We pray that you would help us every day, Lord, to reach out to those who need help. Lord, that you would equip us through what we just heard and what we just learned, Lord, to be able to do that, to undertake that endeavor, Lord. And that there would be um, a whole bunch of that going on, Lord, as, as we come out of this COVID stuff, people are going to need help. They're going to need these things that are only found in your scriptures, Father, and found in you, Father. And so we pray that you would give us the peace we need and the ability we need to be able to endeavor to help those that you bring to our attention. 
And we thank you for giving us this word today. And thank you for giving us your word. In Jesus' name, amen.